Hello and welcome to Beyond Top 10 Tennis. My name is Dr. Ashley Morgan Burge and I'm your host. I am the author of 11 books, a CEO of 12 years, the founder of a startup set on data privacy, most importantly, an elite performance coach of over 18 years, having worked with athletes throughout Europe, the United States to Australia. Most excitingly, I am the world's leading scientist on coach and athlete performance specifically behind how to develop a top 10 tennis ranking. My work includes everything from mitigating injuries to conditioning behaviors that set a player up long term for the long game towards a top 10 tennis ranking. I'm behind theories from the optimal performance theory, optimal behavior for optimal performance, the barrier breaker, the rule of transference to the golden rule. As has become custom, each episode we dive into one of my books to share additional insights and dig a little bit deeper. We've been focusing on the secrets to optimal coaching success, the role of experience, optimal performance practices and outcomes in the real world. With over 50 episodes now to date, today's topic plays its own role like so many other episodes in developing the player, parent to coach for that road ahead towards a top 10 tennis ranking. So as always, buckle in and enjoy the ride. Thank you so much for joining us today, whether you're new or you have been listening for some time now. Thank you so much. Look, today's topic, it's a little bit different, but I think it serves a really important purpose that comes down to decision making. And I know I don't normally get into this till much later on, but I think we can all put our hands up to acknowledge the humanized approach here. And if you are new, each episode we do like sharing. It's uh, the applicability from when we're developing that elite athlete towards that top 10 tennis ranking. The lessons there that serve life in itself. So, And I guess life is, is very broad slash generalized, but we're looking at the applicability irrespective what your end goal is, a top 10 tennis ranking or achieving the best mark possible on an exam. Um, That is a very general, I want to say, just an example. But obviously the correlations there when we're looking at performances are very um, readily transferable. Although when we're looking, I think, at the underlying lessons, the decision matrix, if you like, it gets really interesting to exciting which um, the seven keys to optimize your life so that's the latest uh, scientific publication there um, when we're looking at that pathway again towards that top 10 tennis ranking it started to unveil really concisely and explicitly that that crossover and I, I did touch on that a bit in, I think, um, our last one to two episodes more 
themselves uh, specifically. Though I think, you know, the secrets to optimal coaching success, it's all about digging a bit deeper on those discussions that are necessary to be had along that pathway. Uh, those of you who, you know, aren't maybe as familiar, that pathway really outlines uh, where this body of work fits in. Uh, whether it is the the initial text that's that uh, those 50 episodes to date essentially um, it's from the secrets to optimal performance success before we venture now into the secrets to optimal coaching success and there actually is another book between these two uh, which is the secrets to optimal well-being which um, we haven't touched on yet and I'm not too sure if, if we will um, if you would like me to then obviously please please send those comments through by all means but it's really that that interlinking it really underscores the name of that text where we're looking at building those foundations around your health and well-being if not um, but I don't want to get too sidetracked from today's episode but that's a very interesting I think topic again and I think that 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 sets the baseline here about that when we're making decisions or we need to make a decision there are a lot of important discussions to be had uh, prior and look today's topic if you want to follow along we are on page 46 and it's about persistence versus walking away so obviously the humanized approach there is is really clear and it really comes down to almost a yes or no and the discussion obviously is that maybe that falls in between it's it's what underpins or underscores that decision now specifically i think when we're looking at developing that elite tennis player uh, throughout that developmental age range which obviously can occur quite quite young from eight nine years of age for example through to 16 17 plus years of age and we do have I think more recent episodes that refer to the elite athletes who are late teens early 20s who already might be on the ATP or WTA tours and all of a sudden they've ascended inside the top 20 and there actually are a handful of players um, within that age range so I refer to them still as that developmental player, almost ironically, because they are still growing into themselves. Because if, if we take away their achievements and we're just looking at that age range and their level slash rate of development compared to a non-sporting um, person individual that 19 20 21 year old we can acknowledge is still developing they're a very young adult um which in a really good way says this generation that's coming through we refer to as the next generation of play it's they have the power to harness the seven keys uh, which is really exciting to amplify their performances to bring it to the next level so when we're looking at the developmental age range obviously there's two the younger and the ones who are a bit older um, some are developmental ex more explicitly where they are evolving um, and learning the fundamentals in that respect and fine-tuning them 
the elite developmental athletes they are still um, in that that learning curve so to speak within that developmental spectrum at the elite echelon of play we term that as and now it's absolutely critical for them to integrate the seven keys if they want to maintain their hold at the top so this is where I think a lot of my most recent work has been centered around um, obviously again for those of you who are not familiar um, this is all backed by data so the science there not just say opinions or subjective opinions without that so this is something most excitingly again that science has unraveled when we're looking at qualitative and quantitative data and that quantitative data is in the 150,000 plus now it's absolutely phenomenal which really shows that uh, this body of work is incredibly substantial and that's what it has taken to uncover these world first and I really proudly put my hand up to say the world's leading scientist on coach and athlete performance because this is what it has encapsulated and uncovered towards that top 10 tennis ranking because it's not just tennis um, explicitly obviously tennis forms that blueprint and that's our um, obviously our primary focus but we also know with the data the different cross sections there which I have touched on I'm very confident in a number of episodes to date but when we're getting back to the decisions and what that's all about we, we can acknowledge that there are two types of decisions here um, to, to be looked at the ones um, that are in that developmental age range um, it's really about longevity and enjoyment and last episode really touched on this about making sure that player that athlete is in it for the the long game but in the best possible way because to get an athlete from that developmental age range from that nine years to say 16 years of age and for them to then transition into that second decade of play which um, we've termed in in the past and so we're looking at that 20 years of play so obviously for that 19 year old first 10 years say to 20 years of age second 10 years to 30 years of age just as a very clear simple example now when we're looking at that in that first decade of play you're setting yourself up for success for that second decade of play if you have the capacity now to integrate the seven keys within that first 10 years of play you're setting yourself up for a compounded effect in a manner of speaking for that second decade of play however because the seven keys have only recently come to life within the last two years um, or less actually like 18 months when it was um, initially published almost anyway the what we're saying there is that now more than ever if you are inside the the, the top 100 top 50 top 20 irrespective of your ranking range you have the seven keys now if you want to be a part of the next generation of play please grab a hold of them and integrate them into your game and there's more to come whereas I, I think today's episode I'm happy to share I have been keeping it under wraps until now but this book that's going to come out um, in December so it's a couple of weeks away now um, actually unravels something that 
we didn't know if it was possible or if it was going to be published and that is the eighth key <laughs> which I'm really excited to finally be able to share because we obviously have that complete text around the seven keys which unravels one two three four five six seven but this book that's um, going to be released uh, closer to Christmas it's an entire text around that one key that eighth key and that's how powerful it is so I'm so excited to share more over the over the upcoming weeks about that but what happens in that developmental age range within that first decade of play you are able to integrate these core keys now you have the capacity to to get a head start on that next generation of play which means current players on the WTA or ATP tours are not considered inside the next generation of play they are the current generation of play which means for them to maintain their hold at the top so if you are one of those players listening these seven keys are going to be pivotal for you to maintain that pace because this current crop in their first 10 years watch out for that second 10 years and some of them are edging closer and closer towards that second 10 years of play so if you are on tour then of course you, you are in your second 10 years of play whether that's 18 19 years of age or you know 25 26 years of age plus um, irrespective you could be 32 33 years of age it is not too late because these seven keys are designed to keep you at the top they are also designed to get you to the top because we're also looking at your level of application um, collectively. Are you applying two of the seven keys consistently or are you applying seven of the seven keys consistently? More often than not, there's an incredible gap because we are looking at consistency. You cannot um, expect to hold on to a top 10 tennis ranking if you only apply five or six of the keys that is how explicit they are you need to consciously and consistently apply all seven the good news is when we look at the data most of the current top 10 players fall into this category so it feeds off that type of data however uh, more excitingly slash explicitly the data are an actually originated with the best players in the world and I've referred to them as the top four because we're looking at the best tennis players in the open era that have um, ascertained 20 plus grand slams each so when we're really looking at the data and metrics and how to establish that absolutely pinnacle level of play where you're obviously overcoming the other players that are at that elite echelon of play we're obviously looking at um, the Roger Federer who got there first Serena Williams as well then when they were parallel and then Nadal who got there and now Djokovic le leading the way in this respect which is incredibly exciting because you can understand data that really just looks at players that have um, secured one grand slam is absolutely sensational but when you move it to the next level and 
you uncover how to achieve multiple, multiple, multiple. That's what we're talking about. Uh, the What Is Your Game Missing series uncovered replicated success. So which means essentially how to win more than one Grand Slam. So we know that's been uncovered. If you're new, of course, that's very exciting. Um, but for me personally, I feel like it's something that I've uncovered, but we're building upon it, especially with this, this latest text to come out. And the seven keys are built on that as well. Because it's one thing to win one Grand Slam, it's another to win two Grand Slams. And then we uncovered with the data how to um, ensure that player goes on to win three, four and, and more. And that's how powerful these keys are. But it also underpins why the, these top four were able to, because they kept doing it over and over and over again. It also underscores why you've got players who have won one Grand Slam and they have not been able to do it again. Or the same with the two, and they have not been able to get that third or fourth, etc. So it's incredibly interesting. But if we wrap, wrap tie that back to today's topic, it's really about those decisions because at the end of the day you are making a conscious decision whether you're going to adopt the seven keys or not and it should be really uh, clear now to share that by all accounts these top four did not know of the seven keys explicitly because they were at their peak achieving uh, I guess that that status that level of success and that's where the data came in to really get down to the nitty-gritty and we're talking both qualitative and quantitative uh, methodologies to data sets which is incredibly exciting with with this latest publication for the very first time is going to unravel and share the qualitative sign those of you who are not familiar that's a, that's okay a lot of our texts uh, do touch on that and the applicability to relevance and when you merge them it's again it's it's incredibly powerful but it builds on that already compounded effect so it's the next level and then the next level and then some which again it blows my mind in the best possible way that this is now on, on the way and it'll be coming soon but again when we're making that decision it's incredibly conscious but in that first 10 years of play you're really reliant for the players on those coaches so for the coaches out there those seven keys should become second knowledge if you want your player that's in that first decade of play to make it towards the top 10 in that second decade of play now for the elite developmental players this is where it gets interesting and i love it because if you are already in the top 20 or top 10 potentially i can guarantee you a few really good things here <laughs> which i don't normally share which means most of you inadvertently apply some of the seven keys that that's the best part some but you are not applying all of them there is one uh, explicit player on the ATP tour that, that we know and that's because they've already achieved those 20 plus grand slams and they've been around for some time now so, so we know on the WTA tour some fun statistics I've shared today is why we knew Swiatek a few years ago was going to win her maiden grand slam 
same with Osaka, how we knew she was going to win that first and then that second Grand Slam, how we knew Gorf and even Rubikina were primed for their Grand Slams, why Sabalenka had to wait, uh, I think it was two to three seasons before she won her maiden slam, irrespective of her position inside the top 10, um, how we knew Alcaraz, for example, would ascend inside the top 10 and win his maiden Grand Slam. So it's not just one player. There is so many players we've based this off. And I've touched on in recent episodes, Sinner, how we knew he would get there as well. And he's on as well. How Medvedev, for example, not only just won his first Grand Slam, but why he's been able to make it to the finals on more than one occasion again. So the data speaks for itself. And you go, how how can I do that? How can I get there? The good news is that's obviously underscored by the seven keys. But back to the elite developmental players and the applicability then of the seven keys. It's because if you want to stay inside the top 10, this is where it becomes important. Because I can guarantee you, and this is again what this latest book is going to really uh, share in obviously further insights, that a number of you won't. A number of you we know regress, so you fall out and players will replace you. And this happens every season. So it's really about how do you maintain your hold inside the top 10. And there are a number of players over the last 10, 20 plus years who have been able to maintain that. One of, I think, my favorite examples that isn't really spoken about on the WTA Tour is Spitalina. Now, irrespective, um, she's had an incredible season coming back, ha having that time off tour um, in, in the last, I want to say it was the eight, 12 to 18 months. But prior to that period, in the last decade, essentially, um, there was a, a, a longitudinal analysis done on the best players in the world. And she's one of the players that really stands out because she was able to maintain her hold inside the top. 10 in comparison to a number of players who had not and despite not having won a grand slam her level of play is ahead of those champions and she is so incredibly obviously deserving of that grand slam win though obviously i understand those out there going well she hasn't won and that's granted that that has not been the case. But when we're looking at being able to maintain a position inside of the top 10, and historically the number of players who've been able to do that, there are a number who are absolutely ahead of the pack. And that is one player that falls in line with the likes of even Serena, because Svitolina's level up there was incredibly profound and she may or may not be able to um, achieve that status again uh, I'm sure that the potential is it's there but we're looking at to the likes again of say a Federer and Nadal to Djokovic's longevity it's absolutely sensational so you go how can you get a player to hold on to the top 10 because remember the value of a top 10 ranking positions a player primes that player to perform at grand slam 
steps and not just perform but we're talking about round of 16 to quarterfinals or higher and there are a lot of top 10 players who are unable to consistently make the round of 16 or further each and every grand slam and they obviously should be because that's the top 16 players um, in the world in a manner of speaking so the expectation is that if you're in the top 10 and your level of play corresponds with that ranking then, then this should be your absolute baseline but we also know that's not the case there's only some uh, I'm not too sure uh, the numbers but it's probably around maybe 30 to 40 percent of the top 10 make that round of 16 to quarters every grand slam where in reality it should be closer to that 90 to 100 percent so when you're looking at the likelihood of a top 10 player winning a grand slam you, that top 10 ranking is absolutely um, incredibly important for that level of maintenance. Now, obviously, because that has not been the case, we have so many players in the last decade that have won Grand Slams and have not been ranked inside the top 10. So if you want to have a ranking inside the top 10 and achieve um, uh, the heights of a Grand Slam or go on to win a Grand Slam, this is a, a new baseline. And again, this is underpinned by those decisions that we make and how the seven keys can inform this, which is incredibly exciting and rewarding. So when you're in your second decade, to play the seven keys take on a new life so a new level of emphasis to maintain uh, those peak performance cycles and to have the capacity to reach that next peak performance cycle so we've, we've actually touched on that a bit in our most recent episodes but the seven keys obviously underpin that now the most exciting part is is that if you start integrating the seven keys now in your uh, let's say your 900 800 in the world your ability to ascend closer and more readily towards the top hundred is fast-tracked uh, same with the top 30 then it's fast track if you're on the top 20 and you start integrating the seven keys more consistently than a player ranked inside the top 10 the likelihood that you are able to replace them by the end of the season is incredibly high however if that top 10 player and get, get, get the message they, they, they get the memo in this respect and they do start applying them then they're obviously able to uh, remain ahead of the pack and maintain that hold so what happens then you are more readily able to challenge the top 10 by applying the seven keys consistently because all you're doing is waiting for them to drop off because as soon as they lag on one of those seven keys then that is where your opportunity is to get insight, so to become a barrier breaker. So if you're familiar with the introductions each and every episode, one of those are terms that this data has obviously coined is that barrier breaker, which means we know there are only a very small number each and every season if we're obviously following and the, the seven keys. Though for, to have that capacity to become a barrier breaker, the seven keys need to be ingrained into your game. However, even more interestingly, is that if they are not, 
there is a very high chance you will pop in to the top 10 for a week or two then drop out and the number of players on ATP and WTA tour so irrespective of what tour it's incredibly high each season now we having a number of players pop in and pop out pop in pop out and the best part is we know why so if you want to be able to stay obviously those seven keys are fundamental so let's rewind so to speak is that the decision is there so it's a very conscious decision of if you will or if you will not and you are listening here and now so and so your decision whether you are that player that coach that parent that guardian or anyone else with an interest and you're looking at optimizing your performance as that player athlete or individual or a coach or performance and or parent guardian for, for your child for their performance to be uh, amplified or brought to the next level it's a conscious decision to go okay what are these seven keys so I can begin to integrate them? And truth be told, no, it does not happen overnight. Of course it doesn't. It takes work. That is why it is 10 years of play. Now you could be going, oh my gosh, I'm 19, 10 years. No, it does not work like that. 19 to 29, you have already done your first 10 years of play, so you get to be fast-tracked. So depending on which developmental group you're in, so recall at the very beginning we touched on two developmental whether it's the first 10 years or the second 10 years so it, it really is dependent if you're in your first 10 years and you're able to consciously and consistently integrate those seven keys on a regular basis until they reach a level of autonomy and it's your decision to do that you are priming yourself to ascend closer towards the top 10 in your second decade of play it is that clear for those plays in their second decade of play irrespective if you're current top 10 current top 50 current top 100 or 300 400 500 in the world it does not matter because if you're 500 in the world for example and you begin to integrate the seven keys more consistently you are fast tracking your ascension and you're increasing that likelihood to get closer towards the top 20 and then eventually top 10 if, however, you're in the top 10 and you only have six of those seven keys, for example, and you want to maintain your status and look at um, increasing the likelihood of Grand Slam success, which um, obviously correlates with those championship wins, and you want to add to that tally, those seven keys become fundamental to be able to do that. Now, the difference between a top 10 player and a top 100 player to top 500 player is the ability to know what encompasses the seven keys and to consciously apply them. Um, and that is collectively, because if there is a gap, then that obviously reflects in the rankings. Now, this is a really exciting episode because um, I think this is the very first time I have actually more explicitly shared, I think, timeframes and, and the wins out there that can happen and the losses. So what happens if you don't, which is incredibly important, but it's also because I think this eighth key in this next book to come out um, in time for Christmas is it's just incredibly important and as I've shared in a couple of our previous episodes it's the capstone of 20 years in the works 11 explicit years of data uh, capturing in, in a manner of speaking and eight years of building this body of work um, that's right I've spent the last eight years building these texts explicitly for you um, 
recount. So that personal recount is going to actually be embedded in this new text, so the underlying why. And I have shared that to an extent in previous episodes about certain things happen to me as that player. And obviously I was that child, I was that player that aspired to reach the top of the game and then injuries came. And not just one or two or three or four, um, you bet I've had my fair share. And so a lot of this work, it's so important to look at mitigating injuries to make sure you can maintain that first 10 years healthy, that second 10 years ideally healthy, and how we can do that. When we're looking at different technical parameters, we're looking at how we educate ourselves, we're looking at that coaching pedagogy to that coach-athlete relationship and how they are are embedded and reliant on each other and it's really important interesting and and how I think everything fits together because at the end of the day a top 10 tennis ranking is not for everyone because it does require work and I think that's a, that's a lot today to really I think set the scenes for you know your persistence versus walking away so Again, if you want to follow along, we're on page 46. Ingrained in all leading players, athletes, is the ability to persist. Having the capacity to surge forward, regardless of what is trying to stop or hinder your performance, is a telltale sign of all good players, athletes. Persistence, thus, is a core ingredient in the formula to developing optimal performances in developing players athletes and I like to think that I can champion this in the best possible way whether it is persistence over 20 years or persistence over those explicit 11 years with the data to uh, the persistence of eight years oh my goodness in building this body of work now if you obviously are that tennis player persistence in that first 10 years of play that first decade of play is absolutely fundamental and you are learning these skills and then for that second decade of play of course you are learning these skills but you're pushing yourself that little bit further nudging closer and closer towards the top 10 and of course it gets so incredibly exciting and rewarding from there and that key ingredient is persistence the embedded nature of all excelling players athletes is wherein persistence is at its strongest. These players athletes have the never give up attitude, which allows them to keep coming back day after day to improve on their performances. These players athletes are highly regarded by the coaching cohort as all good coaches absolutely thrive off players athletes that will willingly um, to not only give their best, but continuously strive towards their next best. But this thriving culture does a blindside both coaches and players alike, which in turn leave parents none the wiser. This is a, re- a really important discussion here because the never give up attitude, um, I think it is very um, more often than not mistaken that players are born with it. And by all means, I think some children play as athletes are, they have that mentality. But that doesn't mean if you haven't, that's not the case. Um, A personal recount here is that I remember that that really um, wasn't my style because on one manner it was, and obviously it shows with I think my background and what I've been able to share. 
but it was more on the quieter side and I so I think this is where it gets mistaken um, in our most recent episodes we've had a discussion about introverts to extroverts and the expressions there and never give up and that attitude can be seen um, in different ways expressed in different ways depending on that individual so I think it's really important not to mistake the very loud and exuberant player that never gives up so the typical extrovert compared to the introvert that doesn't maybe say too much but I can guarantee you they're showing up day after day after day and their persistence is absolutely champion but I think the more concerning part what we're getting to here is the blindsiding because you have that culture that's ingrained in these athletes if um, they're expressing themselves so it's almost uh, like the introverts in this respect miss out but it's so important whereas it's if a coach thrives off this type of attitude and other players is that let's be mindful then of all types of players because if that coach is not thriving off that more introverted player then it's really the coach's responsibility to ask him or herself what they can do better how and we do have episodes on that on how you can really amplify I think the training to the the practices to make sure that player that athlete continuously remains engaged a consequence of this ingrained persistence and never give up attitude can have players or athletes suffering when they needn't be. This suffering is a result of the pressure players or athletes place on themselves to reach the next best level. Now, there have been episodes again on the pressure to perform and I've got some blog posts there as well. So the pressure to perform is that you have those expectations incredibly high that you're setting for yourself. And if the coach and parent as well, so and or guardian, so recall that triangular relationship, is not in tune or, or sync with the pressures that that player athlete child is experiencing, there can be quite substantial and consequential downfalls in this respect. So it's so important to endeavor to stay on the same page of that player athlete. And this is obviously where the suffering comes in because the pressure to perform, if your performance is based on obviously your ability and that outcome, and if you then in turn place your value as a player on the result, it can be incredibly unhealthy. So we do have again episodes and blog posts on self-worth because there's nothing more unhealthy than a player um, valuing themselves so their self-worth is based on that outcome. So if they won or lost. And unfortunately, this is really common in that developmental age range. And but also also twofold. So you still have athletes in the second decade of play that can view their self-worth quite poorly if they're not performing. Now, obviously, these are two extremes, so the consequences are uh, quite different. But we can look at consequences as drastic as that 13, 14-year-old not winning, so they decide to walk away from the game. 
or then you have that you know that 19 20 year old that knows you know what i'm not doing very well but i'm not giving up this persistence that underscores that but you need to get to that point to begin with to really value yourself and your self-worth and know that your identity as a player is not your whole identity and again there's episodes and blog posts on that and that's why i guess i encourage everyone if if you are new to really backtrack to have to have a look at i think the the the, those the catalog of work that we've built to date because it's a stepping stone and it really um, lays the foundations for what we're discussing now too often than not pressure is misconstrued pressure comes in both good and bad forms that is Good pressure is the want to play at your best and regardless of the outcome, players, athletes are content they put in the best they could on that given day. Yet bad pressure emerges when players at your, when playing at your best isn't good enough, when performance results are the be-all and end-all and where performances are not monitored rather than outcome of sole measure. Um, and that is really important because I even remember and recall in my days playing that this was something very unhealthy acknowledging that was experience that the self-worth to that performance were tied together and my identity then was as that tennis player who was I if I was not that tennis player and that's a very important discussion to be had so and it really does affect an athlete's emotional and mental well-being and we have again obviously episodes on that Um, and that is why the pathway to the long game was built to provide that level of guidance because more often than not that guidance is not there Um, the same applies to the conversations to be had about self-worth and unfortunately not many coaches out there are in tune with uh, I think the conversations around self-worth and outcomes and the same is applicable to the parents and or guardians to make sure that your child knows that whether they win or lose, it doesn't matter. As long as they put in or they try their best, that's what counts, irrespective of that result. Because, and we're going to finish on this, because it is so important to make sure that, that outcome is not tied to that player's athlete's self-worth and i think where obviously this chapter goes and i'd encourage obviously if you want to dive in deeper then it's there um, but where the consequence to this goes is that you have players athletes that drop um, and they walk away from the game they do not persist because they think they're not worthy they think they are not good enough and all you know is that their next peak performance is around the corner and that's where it starts so and that i think is where the seven keys come in because they're also a guidepost in that respect as well to make sure you are conditioning these elements and you are working on them because at the end of the day that's less heartbreak for for, for more players around the world so irrespective where you're based it's helping you get over those hurdles in i think a more conducive way 
to make sure you stay on that pathway towards that top 10 tennis ranking irrespective again obviously if it's your first decade of play or your second decade of play because everything I think is intellect so look at the end of the day if, if you want to be a part of that next generation of play um, persistence prevails and if you want to avoid that player from walking away from the game too early it's about looking after them embedding those seven keys because the coach athlete relationship is embedded in that looking after your players your athletes with the coaches out there for the parents and or guardians it's about being in sync with knowing that their identity away from the tennis court is it's different it does not have to be their whole selves and again I really would encourage you to catch up on those episodes explicitly about these type of topics and look at the end of the day again if you're putting in the work you're implementing the seven keys we know the rewards and they're so incredibly exciting because they end up at the pinnacle of play with that top 10 tennis ranking so much for listening today i really hope you enjoyed today's episode i think it was quite heavy and complicated in some parts and, and we did take a, a bit of a detour when we're looking at that i think and uh, the decision matrix there and the two sides of the developmental spectrum but it's so important i think it's incredibly exciting and it was really exciting today to finally be able to share the eighth key i cannot wait for the book to be in your hands and to hear your thoughts from that because we've got the seven keys that deliver that top 10 tennis ranking and i will be sharing more in the weeks to come of what that eighth key delivers Uh, to grab your copy of the secrets to optimal coaching success head on over to ama international that is amainternational.com for any comments or questions head to ama or topic thread the social platform set on data privacy to interact with beyond top 10 tennis head on over to twitter threads linkedin or instagram to catch up on our weekly coaching tips head on over to tiktok uh, to catch up on our blogs head on over to ama international and look for our blogs tabs or head on over to medium and interact with everyone there and look as always i'll leave all links in the episode notes uh, for something different head on over to pink octopus books that's where my fictional release is to view this week's question and poll be sure to visit spotify if you're listening on another platform or for something left to field visit spruik for some random polls and i'd absolutely love your feedback and of course if you enjoyed today's episode please subscribe like share and or all of the above would be absolutely phenomenal Uh, for those of you who are interested we do have scholarships available on ama international as well as options to work with me exclusively to optimize your performance to nudge you a little bit closer towards that top 10 tennis ranking and potentially that next grand slam championship win so don't be shy come and say hi on that note thank you so much for listening i'm so incredibly grateful i am your host dr ashley morgan burge and this is beyond top 10 tennis and i'll see you next time